Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our gospel reading, uh, read, by you, uh, read for you by Pastor Edwards just a moment ago from Luke 17, with an emphasis on these words. Jesus said, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and then turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. On May 6th, 2021, Jack Kruger was about to start yet another minor league ba- another season with a minor league baseball team, the Salt Lake City Bees. Now, the Bees were a triple-A team uh, stationed in Utah when all of a sudden uh, his cell phone rang and he hears, get on the first plane to Los Angeles. It was his manager calling, informing him that the Angels, Salt Lake's parent club, were now promoting Kruger to the majors in order to replace a catcher who suffered a concussion. The Angels were playing the Tampa Bay Rays that evening, and he was expected to be there. So Kruger, a 20th round draft pick from 2016, who had toiled in the minors for five seasons, got his gear jumped on the first plane he could find, and got to the Angels' locker room one hour before the first pitch was thrown. As you can imagine, with no time to warm up, Kruger's surroundings felt positively surreal. He wondered how he had gotten there. From the dugout, he watched the innings pass, his mind spinning, until finally, at the top of the ninth, he got the nod. He took his position behind home plate, and he played admirably. No, no hiccups or major incidents to report, but boy, it's hard to imagine how he would have felt in that moment. How would you have felt? Equal parts terrified and excited? Maybe a bit overwhelmed at the fact that that morning you woke up thinking you were going to be playing another season for the minors? Maybe like the weight of the whole world in that moment was resting on your shoulders. For a moment this morning, I want you to put yourself in Kruger's shoes or perhaps in a similar situation. Maybe imagine you're a teenager who just got their driver's license. You're excited and giddy and a little nervous, but then suddenly someone comes up to you and they hand you the keys to a big rig. And they say to you, you're going to take a semi-truck from Bloomington, Indiana to Dallas, Texas, and in this truck are a series of packages all marked fragile. How would you feel? Yeah. Or perhaps you're a volunteer treasurer at a small rural church congregation, and suddenly you get a phone call. It's the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and he's here to tell you that you are going to be managing his books. Hop on a plane and move to New York because this is now your job. How would you feel? More than a little terrified? Well, what about this one? Imagine now that you're a fisherman from a backwater village in first century Palestine. You're doing your work one afternoon when suddenly God in flesh comes to you and calls out from the shore, Hey, 
Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to put you to work in my foundling church. I am going to give you the authority to bind and loose sins. I am going to put you in charge of distributing my word and sacraments to the hungry, sin-filled masses. Along the way, you can expect persecution, rejection, and maybe even death for my name, but take heart because through you, my Holy Spirit is going to work life and salvation, not just for you, but for the whole world. Well, how would you feel? Yeah. Imagine that for a moment. Would you jump at the opportunity? Or would you perhaps be quaking in your boots? I imagine that on my part, I would be the latter. In our gospel reading from Luke 17, Jesus addresses those men whom he had called to be apostles, those he would leave in charge of his church on earth. And in his teaching for this day, he emphasizes the gravity of their call. He says to them, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the depths of the sea that he should cause even one of these little ones to sin. Therefore, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And again, if he says he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. We'll talk about overwhelming. Here, Jesus is, Jesus is urging them not just to forgive their neighbor who sins against them, which is hard enough, as we saw in our children's message from time to time, but to be always forgiving, to be always perfectly forgiving, lest that neighbor whom you fail to forgive should stumble into, into sin as a result of your hard-heartedness. What Jesus is telling them here in Luke 17 is not just to be diligent in forgiveness, not just to be better at forgiveness, but to forgive as he has forgiven them. This sounds to me like calling a rookie out of the minor leagues to play the World Series. But friends, it gets better because if you haven't figured it out already, Jesus' call here in Luke 17 is, isn't just for those apostles, those pastors who would lead his church. That call is also for you. You are to forgive as he has forgiven you. Jesus calls you, and he makes you a steward in his church. And over the next four weeks, your your pastors are going to be discussing with you what that means. What does it mean to be God's steward? Well, for this year's stewardship emphasis, we're inviting you to consider all those various gifts with which your Lord God has so daily and richly blessed you. The subject of good stewardship in the Christian faith is a difficult one, chiefly because of the tired old assumption that during this month, your pastors and your congregation are diverting attention away from the Gospels to hit you up for money as though it were an NPR pledge drive. Friends, not only is this not the case, but it does a disservice to the whole manner in which we talk about our stewardship. Contrary to the popular assumption, stewardship does not begin as a bottom-up 
effort. We are not trying to appease God or avoid his wrath by means of our tithes and talents. Rather, we want you to think of stewardship as a top-down effort. That all that you have and enjoy in this body and life comes to you freely as a gift from the Lord your God. He graciously bestows all good and perfect gifts on you, his dear children on earth. Once we reorient ourselves and this becomes our framework, we begin to see God for who he is. He is our loving father. He wants us to have every good gift. But once we understand that that's what they are, gifts, they do not belong to us, but rather are given us by our God, then we see that we are entrusted with these things in order to be stewards and neighbors to one another. Consider what this means. For a steward does not consider his or her own interests when taking stock of their possessions, income, and authority, but rather they are called on to constantly consider that of their master, on whose behalf they are given to act. So then, what does our God, our master, our father, what is his will for those things that he graciously entrusts to us? Now here, you might be expecting me to talk about that familiar three-pronged approach to your stewardship. What does God want for your time, talent, and treasures, right? You've heard those words before, and they're good words. They provide a good springboard, a good starting point, but friends, I tell you today that they are not all-encompassing. They don't cover everything that God gives us to be steward over, and they don't encompass the entirety of God's will for that stewardship. For in all that we do in this body and life, we are called constantly to bear the image of Jesus to those neighbors we talked about. As Jesus humbled himself in service, so are we to be humble to one another. As Jesus gave healing to the poor, the ill, and the dying, so are we to give freely to others. As Jesus emptied himself on the cross to forgive the sins of all mankind, so are we to forgive one another completely. In all that we say and do, it is Christ crucified whom we witness. Now this is all to say that you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, as stewards, are to consider carefully what kind of witness that you make to your neighbor in the name of Jesus. As he says, pay attention to yourselves. For if by your actions you tempt your neighbor to sin or you cause them to stumble or fall away from their faith, then that is an affront to your Father in heaven. That is a slap in the face to your Lord and Master who has called you and made you his steward. If you withhold from your neighbor that forgiveness which was lavished on you so freely from Calvary's cross, then you have not witnessed Christ, but the false gods of pride and egotism. In other words, you as Christians as stewards of faith, you are called to be imitators of Christ himself 
in everything that you say and do. You are to speak as he spoke to you from his word. You are to love as he loved you from the cross. You are to give as he has given himself for you in humble service. This faithful, loving work, I tell you, is the very work of stewardship. Now, if you're like me, then you're probably thinking that that sounds significantly more challenging than just putting your envelope in the collection plate each week. Perhaps right now you're starting to feel a little bit like Jack Kruger. Or maybe you're feeling more like the disciples from Luke 17. For when the reality of their call began to sink in, the fullness of what their discipleship, their following this Jesus meant, began to bear down on them, they were rightly dismayed. They began thinking to themselves, forgive like Jesus? Wow, I can't possibly do that. I'm not even fit to tie his sandals, much less be his ambassador to others. As they examined themselves against what Jesus commanded, they saw plainly that they could not hope to be fit stewards over so lofty a call. And they were terrified. And in that terror, they cried out to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. I can't do this on my own. Friends, does the prospect of serving God in his church sometimes terrify you? Do you cry out to the Lord in a sinful stupor like those 12 apostles? Lord, I am wholly unfit to serve you. Give me faith to live according to your command. Friends, take heart. Because that's exactly what your Lord does. He gives you faith. He calls you and equips you for the work which he himself has prepared before the foundation of the world for you to do. Understand that stewardship does not begin when you wake up one morning and make the decision to follow Jesus, to serve Jesus. Because otherwise, none of us would do it. Instead, your call to stewardship begins with your baptism. In this blessed sacrament, we are given new birth by water and the word. We are given a new identity as heirs to God's eternal kingdom for the sake of Christ Jesus. And it is here in these waters at this moment that his Holy Spirit imparts the gift of faith to us. Take note, your faith is not your works, nor is it, nor is it a work that you have made for yourself. It is, rather, the Holy Spirit working in us and through us by the means of grace, as well as pastors, teachers, parents, and mentors who impart this saving gift of faith to us so that we may grow in maturity and understanding. In our epistle for today, you'll remember that St. Paul encouraged the young pastor Timothy to guard the deposit which had been given to him. This deposit, which St. Paul writes about, is none other than his baptismal faith. Now, though we are not all pastors, though we are not all teachers, still God, who has baptized each of us into his name, has called us in that same call to faith. He has given us one baptism and one Christ who is the forgiveness of our sins. This faith deposit, 
as it is so called in 2 Timothy, is thus appropriated not to sit and stagnate until that day when we redeem that faith for life in his kingdom, but it is to grow. It is to be nurtured. We are to fan the flame constantly by the faithful reception of his word and sacraments, by hearing that which God has ordained for our good, and that Christian faith is to grow and to pay dividends for the God who has called us and given us faith. To be a steward of God is nothing more than to dedicate yourself to nurturing that baptismal faith in yourself and in others. Through many and different means, God calls us to service in his kingdom. But he does not leave us to those tasks all by our lonesome. That same Holy Spirit who through the baptismal waters imparted faith to us now also serves as our helper and counselor. For that is what Christ promised him to be. Through him we are made to be fit stewards of all God's various graces. Furthermore, he gives us this great cloud of witnesses, those who are called by the Spirit to his church on earth along with us to serve in his kingdom. We are, all of us, all together, stewards of this Christian faith, the first and foremost gift our God gives his church and the only gift which lasts unto eternity. Clinging to this precious gift, we are made bold in our service. No longer are we cowering or quaking in our boots as we once were, but we are empowered and strengthened by the Spirit with those same words which were promised to the prophet Isaiah. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Dear brothers and sisters, confident in this promise, let us all guard the deposit made us in our baptism. Certain that the God who called us is faithful. He will not let the work which he began in us to go unfulfilled, nor will he let our labors be in vain. For this is Christ's church, not ours. He does the heavy lifting. He forgives us our sins. He imparts faith by his spirit. He calls us into this place, fills us with his gifts set aside for us who have been made his people. And so, called as his stewards, set apart as his witnesses, let us join our voices in prayer as the apostles prayed. Lord Jesus Christ, give us faith. Amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in the same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.